Volume One, Chapter Fifteen of A Charming Fellow. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Charming Fellow by Francis Eleanor Trollope. Volume One, Chapter Fifteen. Minnie and her father had been having a discussion about David Powell, and the discussion had heated Dr. Bodkin and spoiled his half hour after dinner, which was wont to be the pleasantest half hour of his day. For Dr. Bodkin did not sit over his wine alone. When there were no guests, his wife and Minnie remained at the black shining board. In those days the tablecloth was removed for the dessert, and the polish of the mahogany beneath it was a matter of pride with notable housekeepers like Mrs. Bodkin. And his wife poured out his allowance of port, and peeled his walnuts for him, and his daughter chatted with him, and coaxed him, and sometimes contradicted him a little, and there would be no more school until to-morrow morning, and altogether the doctor was accustomed to enjoy himself. But on this occasion the poor gentleman was vexed and disturbed. "'It's a parcel of stuff and nonsense,' said the doctor, jerking his legs under the table. "'That remains to be proved, papa. If the man has anything of consequence to say, I shall soon discover it.' "'Anything of consequence to say? Fudge! He is coming begging, perhaps.' "'I don't believe that, papa, nor I think do you in your heart,' returned Minnie, with a little smile at one side of her mouth. But the doctor was too much disturbed to smile. "'Why shouldn't he come begging?' "'It won't be his modesty that will stand in his way, I dare say. "'Or perhaps he wants to convert you, as these fellows are pleased to call it.' "'Nobody seems to be afraid of our wanting to convert him,' said Minnie. "'I don't like the sort of thing. "'I don't like that people should have it to say that my daughter is honoured with the confidences of a parcel of ranting, canting cobblers. "'But, papa, would it not—I am speaking in sober sincerity, and because I really do want your serious answer—' Don't you think it would be wrong to be deterred from helping any one with a kind word or a kind deed by the fear of people saying this or that? Helping a fiddlestick, cried Dr. Bodkin magisterially, but incoherently. Minnie's face fell. It had been paler than usual of late, and she had been suffering and feeble. She never lamented aloud, nor was importunate, nor even showed weakness of temper. But her father, who loved her very tenderly, understood the chill look of disappointment well enough, and it was more than he had strength to bear. "'Of course the man can come and say his say,' he added, jerking his legs again impatiently under the sheltering mahogany, "'especially as you say he is going away from Whitford directly.' "'Yes, but there is no guarantee that he will not come back again. I cannot promise you that on his behalf.' This unflinching straightforwardness of Minnie's was a fertile source of trouble between her father and herself. It was certainly rather hard on the doctor to be forced to surrender absolutely, without any of those pleasant pretenses which are equivalent to the honours of war. Fortunately, we are limiting ourselves to the doctor's point of view. Fortunately, at this moment, his eye fell on Mrs. Bodkin, who, made exquisitely nervous by any collision between the two great forces that ruled her life, was pushing the decanter of port backwards and forwards on the slippery table, quite unconscious of that mechanical movement. "'Laura, what's the mischief are you about? Do you think I want my wine shaken up like a dose of physic?' This kind of diversion of the vials of the doctor's wrath onto his wife's devoted head was no uncommon finale to any altercation in which the reverend gentleman happened not to be getting altogether the best of it. "'I think,' said Mrs. Bodkin, speaking very quickly and in a low tone, as was her wont, "'that very likely Mr. Powell wants to interest Minnie on behalf of Richard Gibbs.' "'And who, pray, if I may venture to inquire, is Richard Gibbs?' asked the doctor in his most awful grammar-school manner and with a sarcastic severity in his eye as he uttered the name gibbs and looked at mrs bodkin as though he expected her to be very much ashamed of herself brother of jane our maid he is a groom at pudcombe hall and a wesleyan mr powell may want to recommend him or get him a place what is the fellow going to leave pudcombe hall then 
not that i know of exactly but it struck me it, it might be about richard gibbs that he wanted to speak because gibbs is a wesleyan you know i suppose he wants to meddle and make himself of consequence in some way egotism and conceit rampant conceit are the mainsprings that move such fellows as this powell the doctor rose majestically from the table and walked towards the door there he paused and turning round said to his wife may i request laura that some one shall take care that i get a cup of hot tea sent to me in the study i don't think it is too much to request that my tea shall not be brought to me in a tepid state mrs bodkin had a great gift of holding her tongue on occasions she held it now and the doctor left the room with dignity that evening minnie wrote the following note my dear mr diamond i shall be able to see mr powell at one o'clock to-morrow should that hour not suit his convenience perhaps he will do me the favour to let me know yours very truly m bodkin it was the first time she had ever written to mr diamond the temptation to make her letter longer than was absolutely needful had been resisted but the consciousness that the temptation had existed and been overcome was present to minnie's mind and she curled her lip in self-scorn as she thought if i wrote him whole pages it would only bore him he would prefer one line written in rhoda's schoolgirl hand out of rhoda's schoolgirl head to the best wit i could give him i are to the best wit of a wittier woman than i then suddenly she tore the note she had just written across threw it into the fire and watched it blaze and smoulder into blackness i will ask you to write a line for me mamma she said when mrs bodkin re-entered the drawing-room after having sent in the doctor's cup of tea to the study to whom minnie to mr diamond please say that i will receive mr powell at one o'clock to-morrow if that suits him i dare say it is really about richard gibbs said mrs bodkin as she sealed her note it was not without a slight feeling of nervousness that minnie bodkin the next day heard jane's announcement mr powell is below miss mistress wishes to know if you would see him in your own room minnie gave orders that the preacher should be shown upstairs and jane ushered him in very respectfully dr bodkin's old man-servant took no pains to hide his disgust at the reception of such a guest and declared in the servants hall that the sight of one of them long-haired canting methodies fairly turned his stomach but jane remembering her brother richard's reformation was less militant in her orthodoxy and expressed the opinion that mr powell was a very good man for all his long hair a revolutionary sentiment which was naturally received with incredulity and contempt minnie looked up eagerly when the preacher entered the room and scanned him with a rapid glance as she asked him to be seated i am a poor feeble creature mr powell she said who cannot move about at my own will so you will forgive my bringing you up here will you not powell on his part looked at the young lady with a steady searching gaze minnie was accustomed to be looked at admiringly affectionately deferentially curiously pityingly which she liked least of all sometimes spitefully but she had never been looked at as david powell was looking at her now that is as if his spirit were scrutinizing her spirit altogether regardless of the form which housed it i thank you gratefully for letting me have speech of you he said and his voice as he said it charmed minnie's sensitive and fastidious ear do you know mr powell that for some time past i have had the wish to make your acquaintance but circumstances seem to make it unlikely that i ever should do so yes it was very unlikely humanly speaking but i have no doubt that our meeting has been brought about in direct answer to prayer minnie was at a loss what to say it was almost as startling to hear a man profess such a belief on a week-day and in a quiet matter-of-fact tone as it would have been to find madame malibran conducting all her conversation in recitative or to hear mr dockett begin his sentences with a whereas you wish to speak to me on behalf of some one mr diamond tells me said minnie after a slight hesitation yes you have been kind and gracious to a young girl beneath you in worldly station 
named Rhoda Maxfield. Rhoda? Is it of her you wish to speak? cried Minnie in great surprise. She felt a strange, sick pang of jealousy. It was for Rhoda's sake, then, that Mr. Diamond had begged her to receive Powell. You are kindly disposed towards the maiden, said Powell anxiously, for Minnie's change of countenance had not escaped him. For her life, Minnie could not cordially have said yes at that moment. I— Rhoda is a very good girl, I believe. What would you have me do for her? I would have you dissuade her from resting her hopes. I speak now merely of earthly hopes and earthly prudence, in the attachment of one who is unstable, vain, and worldly-minded. What do you mean? I—I I do not understand, stammered Minnie, with fast-beating heart. May I speak to you in full confidence? If you tell me I may do so, I shall trust you utterly. What is this matter to me? Why do you come to me about it? because i have been told by those whose words i believe that you are gifted with a clear and strong judgment as well as with all qualities that win love you are mistaken i am not gifted with the qualities that win love said minnie bitterly then she asked abruptly did mr diamond advise you to speak to me about rhoda nay it was i who had recourse to his intercession to get speech of you but he knows your errand in part he knows it but i was not free to say to him all that i would fain say to you Minnie's face had a hard-set look. "'Well,' she said, after a short silence, "'I cannot refuse to hear you, but I warn you that I do not believe I can do any good in the matter.' "'That will be overruled as the Lord wills.' Then David Powell proceeded to set forth his fears and anxieties about Rhoda, more fully and clearly than he had done to Diamond. He declared his conviction that the girl was deceived by false hopes, and was fretting and pining because every now and then misgivings assailed her which she could not confess to any one and because that her conscience was uneasy the maiden is very guileless and tender-natured said powell softly don't you think you a little exaggerate her tenderness mr powell persons capable of strong feelings themselves are apt to attribute all sorts of sentiments to very wooden-hearted creatures he looked at her earnestly and shook his head rhoda always seems to me to be rather phlegmatic very gentle and pretty of course but do you know i should not be afraid of breaking her heart there was a hard tone in minnie's voice and a hard expression about her mouth which hurt and disappointed the preacher he had expected some warmth of sympathy some word of affection for rhoda you do not know her he said sadly and then mr powell algernon errington you know i suppose that mr errington is a great friend of mine i will not willingly say aught to offend you nor to offend against christian courtesy but there are higher duties more solemn promptings that must not be resisted oh i am not offended but let me ask you what right have we to assume that mr errington has ever deceived rhoda or has ever thought of her otherwise than as a friend and playmate of his childhood i am convinced that he has led her to believe he means some day to marry her i cannot resist that conviction marry her why mr powell the thing is absurd on the face of it a boy of nineteen and in algernon's position why, any person of common sense would understand that such an idea could not be looked at seriously. Powell made himself some silent reproaches for his want of faith. This lady might not be soft and sweet, but she had evidently the clear judgment which he sought for to help Rhoda. And yet he had been discouraged and had almost distrusted his leading because of a little coldness of manner. He answered Minnie eagerly, "'It is true. I well know that what you say is true, but will you tell Rhoda this?' will you plentifully declare to her the thing as it is rhoda has her father to advise her if she needs advice nay her father is no adviser for her in this matter he is an ignorant man he does not understand the ways of the world 
at least not of that world in which the Arringtons hold a place, and he is prejudiced and stiff-necked. There was a short silence. Then Minnie said, "'I do not see how I can interfere. I should, in fact, be taking an unjustifiable liberty. And Mr. Arrington is going away. They will both forget all about this boy-and-girl nonsense, if people have the wisdom to let it alone.' rhoda will not forget she will brood silently over her secret feelings and her thoughts will be diverted from higher things she will fall away into outer darkness oh think a word in season how good it is consider that you may save a perishing soul by speaking that word i have prayed that i might leave behind me in this place the assurance that this lamb should not be utterly lost out of the fold powell had risen to his feet in his excitement and walked away from minnie towards the window with his head bent and his hands clasping his forehead. Minnie felt something like repulsion, and the sort of shame which an honest and proud nature feels at any suspicion of histrionism in one whom it has hitherto respected. Surely the man was exaggerating, consciously exaggerating, his feelings on this matter. But then Powell turned and came back towards her, and she saw his face clearly in the full sunlight, and instantly her suspicion vanished that face was wan and haggard with suffering and there was a strange brilliancy in the eyes almost like the brightness of latent tears the tears sprang sympathetically to her own eyes as she looked at him it was impossible to resist the pathos of that face there was a strange appealing expression in it as of a suffering of which the sufferer was only half conscious that went straight to minnie's heart mr powell i am so truly sorry to see you distressed i wish i really do wish that i could do anything for you for me oh not for me but stretch out your hands to this poor maiden and say words of counsel to her and of kindness as one woman may say them to another i have borne the burden of that young soul i have laid it upon me to wrestle strongly for her in prayer i have have been assailed with manifold troubles and temptations concerning her but i am clear now i speak with a single mind and as desiring for her higher welfare from the depths of my heart good heavens thought minnie what a tragic thing it is to see men pouring out all the treasures of their love on a thing like this girl for something in powell's face and voice had pierced her mind with a lightning-swift conviction that he loved rhoda maxfield minnie would have died rather than utter such a speech aloud the ridicule which among sophisticated persons slinks on the heels of all strongly expressed emotion was too present to her mind and too disgusting to her pride for her to have risked the utterance of such a speech even to her mother but there in her mind the words were good heavens how tragic it is and she acknowledged to herself at the same time that powell's lack of sophistication and intensity of fervour raised him into a sphere wherein ridicule had no place i will do what i can mr powell said minnie after a pause looking with unspeakable pity at his thin pallid face but do not trust too much to my influence i do trust to it because it will be strengthened and supported by my prayers then when he had said farewell and was about to go away she was suddenly moved by a mixture of feelings and as it were almost against her will to say to him how good it would be for you to see rhoda as she is a shallow sweet poor little nature as incapable of appreciating your love as a wren or a ladybird i like rhoda and i am a poor shallow creature in many ways myself but I do recognize things higher than myself when I see them. David Powell's face grew crimson with a hot, dark flush, and for an instant he grasped the back of a chair near him, like a man who reels in drunkenness. Then he said, You are very keen to see the truth. You have seen it. Rhoda is dear to me. 
as no woman ever has been dear or will be again once i thought this love was a snare to me now unless in moments of temptation by the enemy i know that it is an instrument in god's hands it has given me strength to pray courage to ask you for your help but you suffer cried minnie looking at him with knit earnest brows why should you suffer for one who does not care for you it is not just who dare ask for justice i have received mercy abundant overflowing mercy and shall i not render mercy in my poor degree but in truth he added in a low voice and with a smile which minnie thought the most strangely sweet she had ever seen in truth i cannot claim that merit i can no more help desiring to do good to rhoda than i can help drawing my breath of others i may say it is my duty to assist this man to counsel that one to endure some hard treatment for the sake of this other in order that i may lead them to christ but with rhoda there is no sense of sacrifice i believe that the lord has appointed me to bring her to him if my feet be cut and bleeding by the way i cannot heed it would you be glad to see rhoda married to algernon errington if he were to become a religious earnest man such a man as your conscientious judgment must approve asked minnie and the minute the words had passed her lips she repented having said them they seemed so needlessly cruel such a ruthless probing of a tender quivering soul it was as if the devil had put the words into my mouth she said afterwards to herself but powell answered very quietly i have thought of that often but i ask myself such questions no longer i hold my father's hand even as a little child and whither that hand leads me i shall go safely it is not for me to tempt the wrath of the lord by vain surmises and putting a case yea though he slay me yet i will trust him you will come back to whitford will you not asked minnie if i may but i know not when that is not given to me to decide at present i feel my conscience in bonds of obedience to the society perhaps we may never meet again in this world minnie as she said the words was conscious of a strong fellow-feeling for this man so far removed from her in external circumstances may god bless you he said almost in a whisper minnie held out her hand as he took it lightly in his own for an instant he pointed upward with the other hand and then turned and went away in silence when dr bodkin said a word or two to minnie that evening as to her interview with the ranting canting cobbler she was very reticent and brief in her answers but on her father shrugging his shoulders disparagingly and observing it is a good thing that this firebrand is taking his departure from whitford i've been hearing all sorts of things about him to-day it seems the fellow even set the methodists by the ears among themselves she exclaimed hotly i do declare most solemnly that this man gives me a more vivid idea of a saint upon earth a stumbling striving suffering saint than anything i ever saw or read End of chapter 15